I'm Kirk LaPointe, Editor-in-Chief of Business in Vancouver, and thanks for joining me today at BIV Today, our daily business podcast. A new report from the Fraser Institute think tank takes a long look at industries protected in Canada from foreign competition. It concludes that nearly one-third of our economy enjoys such freedom. The report is called Walled from Competition, and its author, Vincent Geloso, joins me now from Montreal. Thanks for joining me. It's a pleasure to be here. Let's look first at the statistics and the sectors. Uh, uh, how much and who? Uh, the, where, where are the big ones? So imagine that uh, we pile up the ones that can be easily, easily measured. Okay. These would account for barriers to foreign firms that want to enter the Canadian markets, firms that get a monopoly just because the government operates it as a monopoly, and private firms that get outright monopoly right so that they are their competitors are literally banned mm-hmm. when you pile them up this would include for example in the first category airline travel which is uh no foreign carrier can uh serve the canadian market uh between canadian cities right. uh the second would be examples like alcohol retail and the third would be busing services which uh, in many provinces uh, the governments give uh, monopoly rights to operate the line so that their their competitors are outlawed, outlawed on certain lines. When you pile all of them up, you end up with, at the very least, a quarter of the economy, which is shielded from competition. Mm-hmm. Then if you had other things like occupational licensing, barriers to interprovincial trade, it goes as high as 30%, which means 30% of Canadian firms of uh, uh, firms in Canada are protected from competition, uh, which is a big deal. Yeah. There were uh, strategic, even political reasons for us to be in this place in the first place, weren't there? Uh, political and strategical reason rarely serve the benefit of consumers. Okay, uh, yeah. The reason why is firms really like to uh, have a quiet life and not be pressured to reduce costs and improve services uh, because it means easy profit because their consumers don't have, they're not threatened by other other firms saying, you know what, I think you're doing consumers a poor service and I'm going to enter the market. When the government alleviates that pressure of that threat of contest to incumbent firms, it reduces the option, the, the desire or the the the, 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 the desire of firms to try and innovate. So in the end, consumers are being hurt by that. Uh, they're being hurt in the forms of higher prices, in the form of, uh, of lower quality. And uh, nobody gains from this. Yeah, certainly, if we, st- if we talk about airlines, for instance, I mean, we can go back a long way in this country where we realized that uh, TransCanada, which became uh, Air-, Air Canada eventually, um, w- was was there because we wanted to make sure that we were able somehow to ensure that we had a level of service in this country, that, that if it were left strictly to the market, there would be a lot of our communities that wouldn't get uh, air service. And so government you know, pushed very heavily for policies that would ensure parts of the thing. But, but have, we, have we outlived a lot of those early reasons around some of these industries? Well, I think it's important to bear in mind one thing. Profits are an incredible motive for innovation. And people's problems, if you find solution to them for firms, it means profits. So if we look, for example, at the European market in air travel, Mm -hmm. uh, in the last few decades, especially because there's an open market there where foreign firms can enter, and there's pretty much no national boundaries on that market. 
there's been a greater number of cities served. There's been a greater number of connections being made on different arrays of different types of planes so that the service varies in in its format to serve greater needs, to serve a, a, a more diverse set of needs, and prices have fallen. And this is a, this is a, this is an open market. Mm-hmm. Imagine if we did the same thing in Canada. Uh, we would open the barriers, we would remove these mandated government mandated barriers so as to allow competition, so as to allow, for example, uh, Air France, because this is presently prohibited, Air France cannot pick up people in Toronto, then pick up more people in Montreal, and then go to Paris. That means that they have empty seats on plane. That means that they're not able to reduce costs uh, and provide lower prices for, for consumers. Yeah. Uh the European experience shows us that these barriers to, to entry that we've imposed on the Canadian market are without any form of serious motivation and only end up as an extra burden for a consumer. So why do they sustain then, Vincent? Because it, clearly there have been successive governments that have changed, changed political stripe, um, some more market-driven than others, you, you would argue. Why do some of these industries still enjoy this amount of protection? Well, this well, I, it bewilders my, my my imagination because the economic case for, at the very least, not creating government mandated barriers. Because the most important thing we economists care about is not only the number of competitors; we really care about the ability of competitors to entry if there is a threat of entry in a given market. And governments should never do something to create such threats. However, I can see why firms like those. The greatest profit of a monopoly or uh, of, a, of, a, of, a, of, a, of lesser competition, the greater profit from that is actually a quiet life. It's easier for firms if they, don't, if they, they know that there is no threat of entry. What's the incentive in a situation like that to try and constantly be on your toes to improve your services, to keep costs down, to keep prices down, to improve quality? There are none because consumers don't have the option because no one can enter the market. So I can see why firms like this and why they could sustain over time. But from a pure standpoint of consumer welfare, there is no case to be made in favor of these laws. The, the um, one area, of course, we should talk about is is the cultural industry uh, uh, sector, and, and there are a number of protections around that, and they're, and they're done again. I, I would argue for a political reason, um, in that uh, we want to make sure that we have greater agency over uh, over our our cultural production, our our expression. We want to make sure that we're not overrun by, say, the United States or another country. Uh, largely speaking, is is it working inside elements of those industries? So I am reluctant because we have not studied the case of cultural production per se. We've mentioned, for example, broadcasting as yeah. one where there is limited competition. But if you look at our table, it's a really, really minor share of the total. The really big ones are the state-operated uh, monopolies, so the ones that are run by the provinces, such as alcohol uh, or the post office or those that are from a directly given monopolies to private firms, such as uh, busing services in Canada, or uh, telecoms, airlines, and others. They amount, even if we, like, for the sake of the argument that you're trying to make, that we remove cultural, cultural uh, production, it's still more than a third of the economy that's being, uh, that's being shielded 
from competition, which means that consumers are facing higher prices and lower quality than they would otherwise would have uh, given uh, if they if uh, if uh, other competitors could enter the market without any barriers to competition. Do you suspect that? Uh, let's go back to the airline industry. Do you suspect that we're talking about a, a price difference here of? 10%, 20%, 30%? What do you think it might be if you had a, a free market where you had open skies in the true sense? It's, it's hard to come up with a number of the exact level by which it would fall, uh, but we can check at trends. So how mm -hmm. much of price has evolved relative to places that have open skies? And where are places that have open skies, prices have plummeted. In Canada, there's been true technological change, some reduction in prices if you look at it, but prices have not fallen as much as elsewhere that where there is a greater threat of entry. So if we consider where prices would be relative to where they are now, they could be lower. They could be substantially lower if we look at the uh, uh, at the example of European countries or of the United States, which by virtue of being a large market, uh, can have easy entry from uh, from firms so that there is threat to the incumbent uh, uh, big players that are constantly under keptos to try and improve the services. But in Canada, we don't have that, and thus there is fewer pressures to keep prices falling by improving uh, the quality of the service, by finding new ways to organize uh, the production of, uh, of the services. And overall, again, consumers are being hurt by this. In, in as much as the transportation sector is, a, is, is almost like a, a, a physical presence uh, where it can't actually be displaced by technology uh, per se, there are industries where technology and uh, you know the, the certainly the digital transformation of our economy has had an impact and i think of things like uh, canada post where you know where now you have so many more ways in which to get some things brought to you um you know uh, uh, is, is is technology somehow eroding a little bit of this protectionism yes so there is as i mentioned the most important thing is the threat of entry uh, mm. So that your pro so that another competitor can come and play against you, producing exactly the same thing you are, or somebody comes in producing a substitute product to what you're doing, which circumvents you as a firm. So that means that, for example, uh, uh, old telephone businesses were constant would have been on the lookout not only for competitors from existing services, but also from new alternatives like voice over internet protocol, which end up being Skype or yeah. other technologies that people are now familiar with. So the, the, the threat from competition can come from numerous uh, venues, uh, one of which is technological innovation. And in some cases, they're, they're, it's led, for example, in the postal services, which you've mentioned at uh, that you've just mentioned, uh, there's been growing competition because of people finding alternatives. Uh, to this, but it doesn't mean that in the years that Canada Post had no alternative, that it was a state-run monopoly, that Canadians were not being hurt by this. So the cost of the monopoly over long decades has been preventing Canadians from having lower prices than they would have otherwise would have for uh, for postal fares, of yeah. having fewer quality of services and not having options in terms of the delivery, the quality of the service, and they paid for a long time. Uh, so it is a testament of the, to the power of, of competition that new technologies circumvented a state monopoly 
but it doesn't negate the fact that this state monopoly has been costly and has hurt consumers over decades. Yeah. The, you've, you've ranked Canada in a couple of instances, 54th out of 62 in air transportation, 59th out of 62 in telecom competition. If, if you had to guess for the overall sector, when you take a look at a 30.6% uh, uh, you know, prevention of foreign competition in our economy, where would that rank Canada, do you think, in, in the scheme of things among uh, industrialized countries? Well, pretty much at the bottom, because Canada <laughs> is very restrictive. Uh-huh. Uh, Canada imposes uh, at, at numerous level important barriers that don't exist. And if we look, for example, at uh, places that actually uh, are, for example, the Sweden, uh, which mm-hmm. would surprise many as an example for me to give. But Sweden actually, in spite of having a very large state that does a lot of things in terms of social services, also has a very open market policy where it tries to limit uh, uh, the ability of firms to limit entry. So what they do is they constantly remove barriers for comp- to competition. They allow foreign firms to come in. They allow competition to come in uh, more frequently. They don't uh, impose government barriers, government regulations that limit competition. Uh, as such, they're actually very dynamic economies that are constantly innovating. Uh, Canada, in that respect, uh, does not fare well. But even if you look at other surveys, it's really clear Canada really plays very poorly in that one dimension of uh, what improves uh, the welfare of individuals because it really is quite adept at restricting, uh, creating barriers to competition. I want to go back to the uh, the issue of politics and all of this. And you know, we've had liberal and conservative governments in this country. Uh, you know, you could argue that some of them have been more aggressively market oriented than others. But why is there not the political will to transform industries in such a way as to uh, as to most serve? the consumer. What what do you think holds holds our politicians back with the political will? I am not good at politics and I am <laughs> I'm an economist. My entire training has been in my life to explain the way that certain laws affect consumers or how certain regulations will alter uh, the standard of living. Uh I am not good at explaining why X party does Y action. Uh, but it doesn't, even if it is, regardless of the answer to who is better on this, it, the issue is it still hurts consumers. If yeah. uh, it crosses party lines to say uh, barriers to competition, uh, giving companies a lesser incentive to fear competition, right? So that they're, they're comfortable in their situation will hurt consumers. Yeah. Because they don't have any incentive to reduce costs. They don't have any incentive to improve the quality of the service. And thus, consumers will pay higher prices. This is a, a fact that is, uh, is indifer- in, indifferent to yeah. uh, ideological congeniality. Yeah. In, in, in as much, I'm going to press you a little bit on this one in that uh, you may not you know, is, want to talk much about politics, but you must have examined some of the histories in other countries. And what it is that drove them to not have the same degree of concern about um, eliminating or, or, or restricting foreign competition 
in their own markets. Why did they make their choices and why when we didn't? Well, this is a little beyond the scope of the study, but mm-hmm. I can point to something where ideology per se is a very poor predictor of why governments do certain actions. Yeah, We've because found, because example, the Swedish example is a great one. You know, that that's that's a state that you would assume to have a great deal of uh, uh, government involvement in the economy. Uh, it, it you could have that expectation, yes. But again, this is, uh, for example, when we look at uh, government spending on average, uh, it ideology is a very poor predictor of mm. uh, whether mm. or not a government will cut or increase spending. The same appears to be true with regulations, the, reg- the types of regulations which uh, would include the barriers to competition that governments uh, erect. Governments from the left, as much as governments can do from the right, can impose such, uh, such barriers. But uh, the downline of the, the, the end of the line statement that I can make with, without any doubt is uh, consumers are being hurt by this. It's, yep. it's, it's yep. yielding higher prices and it's lowering quality. Do, as we move forward and, and as we're trying to, in a lot of ways, um, perhaps recognize that we're not going to have economies that always grow by 4 and 5% any longer. We're, we're going to be into these milder growth cycles. Uh, it is one of the fastest ways to increase a living standard to get rid of more and more of these barriers? Yes, uh, I would not be as pessimistic as you are, largely because in periods where uh, firms were constantly on their toes to try and improve the quality of their services, that they were constantly trying, uh, that they were fearing constantly either innovation that would make their product obsolete or entry from other firms if they tried to abuse uh, their, if they tried to abuse consumers, uh, these were periods where they were. Very, very fast growth, very fast development, very rapid increases and well widespread increases so that they were shared across the income distribution, uh, benefited a lot of people by wide margins, removing uh, these barriers so that there would be a greater impetus for innovation, for adopting new techniques, for adopting foreign technologies, for trying to uh, find ways to uh, organize the production of services better so as to reduce costs, uh, reduce prices, and increase quality would lead to uh, uh, to increases in the rate of economic growth, which would also mean an increase in uh, how uh, how well are do we live our lives, the quality of our lives uh, would improve as a result. So I'm quite optimistic that removing these barriers to entry would be very, very helpful for the, the living standards of Canadians. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. yeah. Well, Vincent, a very interesting study. Uh, I want to thank you for your time today. It's been a great conversation. It was a pleasure. Vincent Geloso is Senior Fellow at the Fraser Institute, the author of Walled from Competition, a new study that takes a look at barriers uh, in our economy and, and takes a look at how uh, foreign competition and the prevention of it means that about 30% of our economy uh, is, is uh, shielded in this way. Thanks a lot for listening to BIV Today. I'm Kirk Lapointe. We'll see you next time.